The other portion of the Great Commission that Jesus gives us is not just to, to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the second part is teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so the last time that we had this gathering, we talked about the idea of training and really teaching people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And in doing so, we talked about the idea of really discipling and bringing about progress in one another's lives, the ongoing sanctification of growing to be more like Christ. And as we give ourselves uh, wholly to these matters, as we're diligent in these matters, giving ourselves wholly to them, there is progress. And it's evident progress that does occur. And we talked a bit about the almost equation that Paul sets up as he is discipling Timothy, as he is fulfilling the great commission that Jesus asked him to fulfill as he is going about teaching him to obey everything, he says to Timothy, after he's taught him all of these things, now you be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them, and we'll see your progress. And so the simple equation of that was diligence and wholeheartedness really does result in progress. Or said another way, diligence or consistency and wholeheartedness or intensity, when those two things are combined, we see great progress. Or in other words, if you practice the piano every day and you really do so with purposeful practice, you're going to get better at the piano. Uh, pick anything, any sort of discipline, uh, whether that's a foreign language, playing a sport. If you actually show up and give yourself so fully that you throw up, you will grow up. All right. So intense, consistency, intensity brings about progress as per 1 Timothy 4.15. But in the midst of it, there was a great question. What if as we're seeing progress and we're, we're actually getting after discipleship and training and we see the growth that's going on, what happens in the midst of that when sin rears its ugly head? The great thing about the Word of God, it is useful not just for training, as we've been talking about, and teaching, but all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, adequately equipped, completely equipped for every good work. That's the power and the efficacy of the Word of God. That it is that comprehensive, that useful, that astounding, that it can help us no matter what the situation is, whether we're teaching and training and seeing that progress, or whether we have the wah, wah, wah alert of sin in our midst and we have to deal with it. And when we do, the Bible, again, is useful for reproving and for correcting. That's what we're going to look at tonight, is the idea of reproving as well as the idea of correcting. And uh, reproving is, is an interesting concept because it's often translated as well in our Bibles as either um, exposed or convicted. But it's all the same Greek word. Well, I'll, I'll show it to you in just a moment. But... Normally, right, we're, we're in a training mode. We're doing, we're inspecting, we're adjusting. We're doing, we're inspecting and adjusting. After a big planning meeting, we kind of get into it. After the big planning meeting, all right, we get after it, the training and we're doing it, right? We're you know, getting after a better prayer life. We're going deeper into our Bible study. We're being more encouraging to the brothers or sisters. We're being a better shepherd over our small group. We're doing it. Then we come back together again and we talk about how we're doing. We inspect. Based on how we're doing, we adjust. And based on that adjustment, we go through that continuous improvement cycle. But as you're going through this and going through this and it's exciting, now sin shows up. What do you do? Oftentimes, what happens is we end up with like a deer in the headlights. 
Hamana, Hamana, Hamana. I didn't expect that. I had a whole lesson plan here of how we were going to grow and move on to the next step of glory. Ever increasing glory as the Holy Spirit is shaping you into the very image of His Son. There's where we're going. I didn't expect the fact that you were going to be steeped in this kind of sin when you showed up today. Whoa! Uh, think quick. What should I do? We really do. Actually, we don't plan for it. So it's, it's often a very difficult moment in our lives. And I think we can take a pretty good lesson from emergency responders. And that would, that would be you know an ambulance driver, emergency room doctor. Deb works in an urgent care center. They're all trained in these situations that... All of a sudden, you know, they're, they're kind of going through their day and there's a call that comes in. They show up on the scene and they're not sure what they're going to see. It turns out that it's Paul Hutchins and he's been hit by a car and there's arterial bleeding and it's squirting all over the place. And they're like, ah, what do I do? And, and it's so easy to go into an autonomic response. An autonomic response is the idea of fight or flight or freeze. And that's often what happens when the unexpected slaps us right in the face. And here you are with your buddy, you're, you're in a discipling relationship, and suddenly there is sin that is presented, and it's very easy to go into the fight or flight or freeze stage. How is it that all these emergency responders don't get taken out of the game by fight, flight, or freeze? Well, what they are trained in again and again and again, so that they do not have to only react with an autonomic response, what they get trained in is ABC, ABC. It's, it's drilled into them, ABC, ABC. What do you mean? They just say the, they sing the alphabet song and it calms their soul? No, that's not what they're trained in. They're trained in airway breathing circulation. Airway breathing circulation. No matter how crazy, no matter how impressive the fountain of arterial blood is that is pulsing through the air, no matter how easy it is to count his pulse as it shoots across the sky, no matter what is going on there, they don't have to give in to the autonomic response because they have been trained to be able to calm themselves and realize, wait a minute, I've been trained for moments like this. Airway, breathing, circulate. Let me check on the airway, make sure that it's clear. Make sure that there's actually breathing that's going on. Let me check for, for pulse. And, and, and by the time that they then get into that, they're able then to get through their, their regular checklist of care to be able to administer care rather than being taken out of the game by the autonomic response that would be there. We, I think, likewise would benefit from, from having something that helps us to step away from the autonomic response and be able to have a better approach to realizing, wait a minute, I'm a reborn disciple of Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit within me. I'm actually equipped. I know the Word of God. I can actually be useful in, in an occasion like this. So, uh, yes, we, we had a plan. It was going to be the ongoing training cycle that we were in. Sin has presented itself. So, what is it that you need to do when sin is there? Elenco. You need to bring about conviction, exposure, or, or reproof in this situation. All the same word. And this is what has been very helpful for a lot of people, a lot of people on the staff here, a lot of the small group leaders that have already been trained in this, and that is not airway, breathing, circulation, but hand, heart, head. Just as an emergency worker would remember airway, breathing, circulation, airway, breathing, circulation, I think when you have sin presented to you, remember hand, heart, head. It will end up being very useful so that you can be used by God and use the Word of God to be able to help out a brother or sister, to be that life preserver that's sent to them, to be able to take them out of the, the, the snatches that Satan would love for them to be in and be able to bring them into a deliverance of real godly sorrow and repentance in their lives. And the, 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 the reason that it's so helpful is because if we fight, flight, or freeze, fight, we're, 
you know, all we do is just kind of yell something that sounds prophetic and think that we've been helpful. Like, yeah, you, you sinful dog, right? I mean, I don't think that kind of opens up a, a real healthy dialogue, right? But between the two of us, if those are the first words that come, if it's fight or, or even flight, like, uh, 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 I, I need to use the bathroom right now. I'll, I'll get back to you in just a little while. Or, or oftentimes it's just freezing. You know what we say when we freeze? Uh, I'll pray for you. Right? That's, that's just code for I'm frozen. And that's all that I got right now. I got nothing. I got nothing. I'll pray for you. Uh, bye. Uh, that's, that's if we have not really prepared ourselves to be useful by Christ in these situations. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight is to get better and better at being useful at being able to expose. And don't worry, I'm going to go over this like many, many times in the next 25 minutes uh, of hand, heart and head. Now, again, the word expose is this Greek word, elenko, and it is a powerful word. It is a word that, that we are uh, encounter very many times in the scriptures. It is the very word that helps bring someone to repentance. The Probably one of the most respected Greek dictionaries that we have, uh, which goes by the initials BDAG, it, it gives this definition. Elenko is to show someone his sin and to summon him to repentance. It's very much a juristic or a courtroom term. The, the idea that you maybe are kind of being cross-examined in a healthy way to help you to come to a self-realization of where you're really at. It is an intervention. It is a, a wake-up call. It is a scales falling from your eyes and you assisting and being able to help bring that about. But it is, in the end, you helping someone to realize the depth of their sin to be able to plead not, not no, to plead guilty, guilty as charged, guilty as sin, before a gracious judge and to throw themselves on the mercy of our amazing and gracious father. That, that is the goal of Alenko. Uh, and and when, we, when we do go about that rather well, we've seen even before our very eyes the work of the Holy Spirit before someone. Now in John 16, Jesus is at the Last Supper having a very intimate moment with his disciples. As a matter of fact, it's the Passover meal. It's right before he's about to die. The Passover meal, for him to choose to spend with those 12 guys... That would be very strange. That would be like you, instead of spending the combination of Thanksgiving and your grandmother's 80th birthday, all of them falling on the same night, deciding, I'm not going to spend it with you, family. I'm going to spend it with these 12 guys I've been hanging out with lately. Like, that's what a big deal it is. That The Passover meal is that big a deal. Way bigger than anything that we've got going for us in, in modernity. That's how big it was. Now... For, for Jesus to spend it with those guys, I'm sure they're thinking, oh my goodness, this is so intimate, this is amazing, we're spending it with him. And in the midst of the meal, he says, you know, it's to your advantage that I leave you. And I'm sure they all said, what? How is that? We, we've been with you for three years, you've been training us, it's been amazing. He says, because if I go, then I will send to you the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will expose the world, convict the world, elenco the world, Concerning, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that's the great benefit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work is to expose us concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. For those of us who have been reborn of the Holy Spirit, well, Paul says, you who are children of light, you're to have nothing to do with the sinful deeds of darkness, but rather to... Elenco them. Yes, Ephesians 5, I think that's verse 13 that I was quoting from there. That, that, that is what we do as re reborn disciples of Jesus Christ. And I find that 
rather than just kind of start, I don't know, just trying to go for it randomly, if I can have some sort of a construct that helps me in these times of what seemed to be unexpected emergency, rather than do the humana, 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 uh, I'll pray for you, is to have this construct of hand, heart, head. And the way that I, I try to go through this is I want to help them to be exposed or reproved or convicted regarding hand what they did, the, the actions of their, their, uh, of their hand or, or uh, feet. Uh, also, what it was that they were desiring. Like what, there, there was some longing that you were looking to fulfill by getting after that. Let's talk about that. And, and after every one of these, I'm going to show them scripture to course correct in this matter. And then finally, head. There must have been some excuse that you gave yourself because you know better. You know the covenant. Obviously, we, we understand our relationship with God as it's laid out in the scriptures. But yet you somehow kind of went through this and recognized that you're going to go ahead and indulge. What was the excuse that you gave yourself to be able to go down that path? And, and then to likewise, to be able to show the course correction of that through scripture. I find that when you do a pretty good job of bringing very applicable scripture to bear that shows the, 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 the real error of the activity, the hand, the desire, the heart, and the excuse, the head, and, and able to really kind of you know, uh, erase that kind of faulty code that, that is entered into our friend and rewrite it with biblical code that brings us back to integrity and living life back into the covenant itself. And, and when, we, when we do kind of holistically get after that sort of reproof, we, we address the behavior, the desire, and the reasoning. What happened? What were you trying to achieve? Or what longing were you looking to fulfill? What was the loophole? And I, I wrote down at the bottom there, watch out for victim themes. That's often where people want to retreat to in these matters because they realize, uh-oh, this gal's got some biblical knowledge and she's going to actually really try and help me right now. When, when somebody suspects that and they want to still live according to the flesh, the, the, almost all the time, if they're not looking for help, they run into being a victim. Uh, and, and as soon as you see that, you've got to be able to help them to recognize that that is not going to help you know the deliverance that God really wants for you. There's a really great book I'd always recommend to people, How to Help People Change the Four-Step Biblical Process by Jay Adams. Jay Adams takes you through 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and those four different steps, of course, are teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. But in that book, when writing about reproof, he does say there is one reason why data gathering is essential to convicting the counselee. Unless the counselor knows the facts, enough facts to fully understand the counseling situation, you cannot call for repentance with the assurance that he needs. If Nathan did not have the data, he could not have said to David, you are that man. And, and with that, he was able to bring David to repentance. Think about some of the more kind of famous biblical situations where Jesus or Paul uh, are, are able to help people come to biblical repentance. Uh, I think one of the most famous ones, of course, is the woman at the well. And there is Jesus at the, at the well in John chapter 4. And as he's sitting and, and talking with her, he begins to expose her. And one of the things that he says is, why don't you, um, why don't you go call your husband? And, and, and she says, I have no husband. And now here comes the exposure. She says, you're right in saying you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man that you're shacking up with now is not, well, maybe that's you know, kind of a modern translation. Uh, the, the man that you're living with now is, is not your husband. Right? And, and, and at that, what does she say? Uh, humana, humana, humana. I see you are a prophet. <laughs> 
And then she tries to escape by saying, look, can we, can we argue about doctrine instead of this right now? But it's obvious that Jesus does not relent because in the next scene, we see her saying to everyone, as she's repentant, he told me everything I ever did. That he brought about exposure. That he, he, he helped me to really be able to see with, with great clarity all that I've ever done. Telling my whole life with his song, Killing Me Softly with his song. So let's look at a case study. Here's the situation. A brother or sister, and they're married. But they get engaged in a bit of flirtatious behavior at work. He or she has come to you with a cursory confession, right? A very surfacey confession. But he or she seems to be content with a quick drive-by uh, of, of maybe you two discussing it and hoping for nothing more than a quick... Uh, please pray for me uh, that, that's going on there, even though this seems to be a sin that is beginning to grow and grow in their life, e even though that they haven't um, you know, re really been open with it. Uh, and so he here it comes. Hey, you know, I've kind of been flirting with a girl in the office. So the first thing is, now we're, we're first, remember, when that happens, what do, you, what do you say at that moment to yourself? Not humana, 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 not ABC. Not airway breathing circulation, but hand, heart, head. Hand, heart, head. Okay, let me just start with, let me just try and ask questions to find out what's really going on. And I often begin with the idea that coming into the light is exactly what God wants for you right now. Uh, and a, a very a very helpful scripture, as you see on the bottom, is John 3, 19 to 20. It's very helpful, by the way, to have a good scripture bank whenever you're working with any of these situations. But let me just read John 3, 19 to 21 to you. And, and as, as, let's say, the brother is on the phone with me, I probably would say this. Hey, you know, with this situation, please take this to heart as, as we continue in our talk right now. Because I do believe that this is a sacred space. God is wanting you to have this conversation. And, and here's what he says about it. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I would imagine you feel like you're right there right now. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What you've done has already been done in the sight of God. Let's just reconcile this and let's let the work of God and the spirit of God and the word of God Help to bring you back to the place where God, of course, wants you to be. And honestly, where you want to be as well. But as, as Jeremiah says, it doesn't do any good to bandage the wound lightly. Yeah. He says that in Jeremiah 6. He says it in Jeremiah 8 as well. That might be a scripture I go to as well, depending on the disposition of the fellow. And as I begin to talk with him to see the receptivity that he has of, ah, I need help versus why are you making a big deal about this for and I think if it's saying, what are you making a big deal about this for? I think I would lovingly try to show many of the passages that show that if you bandage the wound lightly, nothing avails of half measures. But when you bandage the wound thoroughly, that's when healing can really occur. Do you want healing or do you just want to check a box claiming that you kind of shared about this a little bit because you have a little bit of guilt right now and you want to just have the legalism of acting like you're a guy who confesses in the midst of sin but not really wanting to have it really dealt with. The goal is not confession. The goal is repentance. 
And I've got to now be a man of God and not a false prophet. And by the way, every single false prophet in Scripture that was rebuked by God was always rebuked for being too soft on sin. Not one single false prophet was ever rebuked for being too hard on sin. And so what is our tendency? Our tendency is to be too soft. And, and it's to be sentimental and to do the there, there. Oh, I'm so sorry, boy. You must be going through a hard time. I'll pray for you. That is not being a prophet of God. And that is not being faithful to, to really the situation that God has allowed you to be in that situation. To be able to rise up at that very moment. Ephesians 5, 11 to 14 is, is one that I've already talked to you about. But let me read it as well. Uh, I might share this with someone. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. This is applying to me and you, but rather expose them. It's shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to be able to drop the the uh, pretense to be able to come forward and, and really allow him to be able to shine on you again and bring about the healing that he so wants for you. First John 1, 3 through 10 is a really great passage. We've looked at it many times. It's the difference between having fellowship in the darkness and fellowship in the light. But where there is fellowship in the light, there is confession of sins and the blood of Jesus washes us clean from all sin when that is the approach that we take. But I think one of the ones that's probably most helpful is Proverbs 28, 13. I would keep this memorized, always at the ready. Whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes it will receive mercy. I often even say the strategy that you're employing right now by seemingly wanting to hide in the shadows, by seemingly wanting to conceal... It's as though you are taking this scripture and flipping it upside down and saying just the opposite. That it seems like in your mind, Satan has gotten you to buy into the idea that if you can cover up your sin, you will prosper. But if you confess it and forsake it, you're not going to receive mercy. Somehow he's done a number on you thinking that we're some sort of a fellowship that is not a fellowship in the light that rejoices in being able to see reconciliation. To see real, true, godly sorrow and repentance. That, that, that's all that anybody wants here. And somehow or another, Satan has gotten you to think that way. And you've got to let the scriptures rewrite what it is that he is trying to get inside there with. As he corrupts the code of your operating system. As you try to kind of live out your relationship with God. So that's all very, I think, very helpful starters. To just open the dialogue so that you can say, alright, you know, not that I'm looking for lower details here. But it, it seems to be helpful to be, to be real about what has gone on. There's something about saying in the light of day, knowing that God already examines your ways. And by the way, um, Pro Proverbs 5.21, huh, very helpful scripture. The, the, the Lord is examining all our paths and he gives careful thought to our ways. God already knows. We've already done this all in the sight of God. What does he want now? Nothing more than you, for you to come into the light, live in the light, rather than continue to conceal this. Satan gets to have leverage on you. Satan gets to blackmail you continually like he's doing now. When you remain in darkness, there is deliverance in the light. Let's, let's practice that by having real fellowship one to another in the light. And, and, and I, will, I will help you to make your way through this. And no matter how sticky this gets, 
I tell you right now, I will go home and do the homework on the Bible to find the scriptures that are going to help you. But I am not leaving you in the lurch on this thing. Even if we can't deal with it in this one sitting, I am, I am here with you. And I'm going to be not only your prophet, but your research assistant with the Bible to help bring about the deliverance that the Bible does promise you. So let, let, let's talk about it. And then after they would share whatever the behavior is, then, then, then probably it would be... Um, uh, very much appropriate to then be able to share from the Bible what the Bible does say about any sort of these impurity or I anything that is in any way um, uh, uh, licentiousness that is, is what they're engaged in. To, to actually allow the behavior to be reproved by Scripture. Oftentimes that's not the hard part, uh, is the the activity. The activity you can quite easily in your concordance probably quite easily look up Anything that, that talks about either lust or lying or laziness, you, you pick it. Those are often the easiest things. The harder part is now when we get into the desires of the heart and the excuses that we make. So I'm not going to belabor this point because I think you, you all know your Bibles and you'll probably be able to do a rather good job of being able to help them to see scriptures that reprove the behavior itself. And the clarity that the Bible clearly shows you that this is well outside the will of God. It is a transgression outside of the will of God. Or even in Mark 7 where Jesus lists many of those things. Whether it's evil thoughts or covetousness or wickedness or lust or, or, or deceit or arrogance. But he also says all of these things, they defile you. They have come out of your heart and they defile you. This is not the way that you want to live. That was Mark 7, verses 20 to 23, where Jesus provides that, that particular passage of help. So, hopefully then, the person has realized, all right, I get it. This, this is a behavior that is repulsive in the sight of God. I, I, I get it. Uh, but that isn't always enough to, to kind of help them to really be unentangled from the sin. Because there was some deep heart desire. There was something about the affirmation of that girl in the office that was really entangling him. And just the fact that you said wrong, 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 even with scripture, is not enough to be able to detach from the heart entanglement that had occurred. So from hand you go to heart. What was it that you were looking, what desire was it that you were looking to fulfill? And as I asked him that, he might say, you know, I just wanted to feel wanted. I just wanted to feel attractive again. And then there might be some victim mentality about maybe what his wife does or does not say or does or does not uh, show affection or whatever it might be. Um, and in, in, in really discerning what that, that the desire is to, to recognize we were meant. It is God's desire for you in Genesis 2.24 to have a one flesh intimacy with your wife. That has gone awry. The thing that brings it back into alignment is working directly on that. To do what you just did as a shortcut to try to feel that sort of respect or uh, wantedness is actually only going to work at cross purposes. You, God has a will for your life and he has a will for you and your wife to have a one flesh intimacy, Genesis 2, 24. And to head in a different direction than that is, is really a, a terrible idea. And, and by the way, God also says that in Proverbs 5, 19, cultivate this. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. That there are very many tender scriptures that really talk about the wonders of intimacy that we're meant to have in a God-ordained marriage of one flesh. Or if it's just the, the fact that they're, they're not feeling affirmed or desired, how about just something as obvious as Ephesians 2? 
Because of his great love with which he loved you, God made you alive in Christ even when you were dead in sin. What more does God have to do to affirm that for you? To show you that you are wanted, you are valued, you are special. You are in an intimate relationship with the creator of all things. You have that as your affirmation. And if that's not affirmation, how about the obvious? For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. So that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. God so loved you that he gave Jesus for you. Uh, or even, even Titus 3, <clears throat> uh, 4, 4 through 5. I'll go ahead and read that one as well. But all of the grace scriptures now come into beautiful play to help someone realize, let me just preach the gospel to you for a moment. Preach the gospel to show you how affirmed you are by God Almighty. And in Titus 3, it says, But when the kindness and love our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Um, you know, here he tells you it's not only that he loves you, but that he likes you. That, that, those are the two phrases there. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, kindness and love, it, it, one after another, is the idea of the, the, the fact that he likes you and the fact that he loves you was made evident when he appeared to you. I think a lot of people think, well, yeah, God loves me because he's kind of got to, uh, even though I'm a tough case. But no, no, he likes you as well. This is not, you know, hold his nose and embrace you with the other arm in a side hug, but, but that he really does like you and love you uh, to this degree and this extent. But it's, it's a good place even for you as you've been preaching the gospel to yourself and affirming your status, your identity in Christ to affirm it with your friend at this point. And, and if it doesn't get across, keep bringing it. And if it doesn't get across, say, well, you know what, I'm going to go home and do homework on this because I'm going to bring it and overwhelm you with how your heart's desires have been more than fulfilled by a God who gave his only son to show you with all affirmation the depth of his love for you. Uh, in addition to what, what are the other ways in which you should healthfully have these desires that you have fulfilled. Uh, and then here's the big one, though. You know, they go in order of difficulty. And that's why I even go in the order of hand, heart, head, because hand is kind of the easiest. It's just this is what you did. This is what the scripture says about what you did. Heart, this is what you're looking to achieve, but now let me look at how that could be achieved by, by even better things in the Bible. But the excuses, the excuses could be anything. It's amazing how creative we can become with our excuses. It's also amazing how theological we can get with our excuses and how we can kind of bend and twist so much of Scripture as, as Satan does when he provides excuses. Uh, and, and it's always what Satan does when he brings us into sin. When he, when he lured Adam and Eve into sin, he didn't just put a good-looking piece of fruit in front of them. He also gave them a wonderful excuse to be able to cross the covenant line and go and indulge and transgress the covenant with God. They needed a fine-sounding excuse to be able to cross the line and go eat of that fruit. When he tries to tempt Jesus, the new Adam, he tries the same game plan. He doesn't just give him a piece of bread, but, but, but he also then tempts him with a fine-sounding excuse. He doesn't just show him the kingdoms of the world, but he also says, you know what? You could be the ruler of all of that. 
and bring about your reign all the more quickly. He doesn't just bring them to the pinnacle of the temple and have them look at you. You know what? You throw yourself down. People are going to say, wow, look at the grandeur of God if he does those things. Right? He gives them fine sounding, even quotes scripture throughout the ordeal of those 40 days of tempting Jesus. But it's the same, if it's the game plan with the first Adam and it's the game plan with the other Adam, it's the game plan with all the other Adams. Right? That he's going to put a good looking piece of fruit in front of you, but he's also going to feed you a fine sounding excuse yeah. for why you're a special case and, and why this is really maybe extraordinary. And for you to go ahead and indulge is maybe okay because you are such an edge case. You're such an outlier in this situation. Here, I, I wrote down some things here. So expose the excuse. Um, the, the person here says, well, I hear that even more mature Christians, even leaders, that they've struggled with this. I heard that my small group leader a little while back actually struggled with this. That, that they, he was getting attention from a girl at work and he, and he kind of was okay with it. So I heard him confess that. So if he had, had a sin like that that was in his life, well then, my, my goodness, uh, who wouldn't expect me to then be able to have that? By the way, more than you realize, this actually shows itself as one of the top excuses. And among young people, it is the number one excuse, which is frightening because, my, my goodness, it means that any, anybody who is in a, in a position of leadership, of course, we are actually under greater scrutiny and, and we really ought to be getting after it. At the same time, though, the, the, the temptation might be, oh, I'm more of a leader. I better hide my sin. God forbid, right? God forbid if that, that, that is the result of it. We, we need to keep exposing, but keep fighting and keep modeling repentance. And even if we do fall into sin, model repentance as, as publicly as we need to, to be able to help others not allow the excuse of, well, I've heard that leaders can struggle with this. So uh, the kind of the thought process behind this is we're not measured by the standard of other men and women, but of the biblical charge for righteousness. We will each give an account before the judgment seat of Christ, irrespective of our brothers and sisters. I'm not showing up with Jeff next to me saying, well, you know, Jeff was kind of goading me on this one, God. What do you, what do you think? Uh, you know, th that's not the way that, it, that it's going to go down. Uh, Romans 14.10 says so. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God and not of anyone else. Uh, there are some other scriptures that are, that are up here um, that, that you can see as well concerning parents and kids and, and other things that go on with this. This is a very difficult one. This may be one, in fact, that you do have to go back and do some homework. A lot of times I've had to do that, uh, is, to, is to go back and, and really do some, some, some real homework on some of these matters, especially the, the excuse. And at, at you, what you, this is what I find to be helpful when somebody says, ah, you know what, I don't think I give myself an excuse. I think I just don't think about it and, just, and I, I just do it. And I say, well, you know what, maybe now because you've engaged in this activity repeatedly that your heart has become so callous that perhaps maybe it's true what you say, that you do engage in it thoughtlessly. But that scares me like nothing else. Because that means that your heart has become that uh, seared as with a hot iron. And, but you know what I bet? If you rewind the clock, not to maybe the last episode of this sin, but maybe two or three or four, ten before, you know what? There was a moment where your heart was still soft enough before Christ. 
And when this temptation presented itself, and even when this excuse presented itself, you actually had a conflict in your heart. And in the midst of that conflict, what was the argument that went down? Oftentimes, it's paragraphs long, and it only takes a half a second. And it really is the case. It's, it's not too different, honestly, than the cartoon little demon and little angel that, that pops on up as you're kind of, you know, at, at a crossroads in the midst of these things where, you know, you, you have the good argument, you have the bad argument. And at some point, if you do indulge, there is something in the bad argument that trumps. Let me say that another way. There's something in that bad argument that wins the day at that, at that moment and does, in fact, open the door for, for, for that activity. And that's what we got to get to the heart of. I often even say, all right, when you have that little argument with yourself, the argument that wins, I'd like to see you write it down word for word. Let's really expose it because I think if we see it written down, we will see the corrupt code that Satan would love for you to inject into your operating system, that is your faith, that is your understanding of your covenant with God, the, the loophole that he is offering you so that we can then shore it up with Scripture. I may not be able to do it right now, but if you can, if you can kind of sit down with you and me together and really think about it. By the way, for sisters, this is a very easy activity. Because the minute that you, you kind of open up to that, it, you know, it, it, it's like opening up the floodgates to be able to talk more deeply about these things. But you ask a brother this, whoa, you're, this is difficulty. I, I, this is the hardest thing in the entire process, is to help the brother to really articulate what that was. Because this is the first response mm, 100 times out of 100. I don't know. <laughs> That's just knee-jerk brother-speak at that moment. And we, we've got to help them to kind of maybe all right, think, think it through. You certainly aren't such a either sociopath or hard-hearted guy uh, that, that you just kind of run headlong after transgressing before a holy God without giving it any thought whatsoever. And just, I don't know. Uh, you're not a brute beast. You, you actually do have the ability to reason and to pause and to consider things beforehand. Let's think what it is that you considered beforehand and begin to really think that through a little bit. And it does take some, some pulling and exposing, some, some Proverbs 22, 7. The purposes of a man's heart are deep water, but a man of understanding draws them out. Uh, we've got to be that man of understanding to draw that out in those cases. It may take patience, uh, but, but I do find that if you kind of describe the little argument that goes on and you rewind back to when the heart was soft enough, you can be able to start to then have a good dialogue on this. And, and then at the, at the end of this, what, what you really wanted to be able to do then is bring scripture to be able to shore up that loophole, shore up that loophole fully, and then remind them of the entire process one more time and pray through it at, at each of the steps. Okay, this was the activity that you described. Here's what the Bible says about it. This is the heart's desire that you're trying to get after. This is what the Bible says about it. And then pray. And this is the excuse that you offered that you bought into from, from Satan. This is what you lived by instead of the word of God. This is what the word of God says instead of that. And, and, and to be able to pray through that. And then our next class will be on, do we, have we corrected the situation or not? Have we brought about godly sorrow and repentance? So I'll leave you hanging until, until next time when we, when we talk through on this. Uh, but, but for right now, I, I, would, I would try to start to really get yourself to a place where no matter what comes your way, that you'll be ready with 
hand, heart, head. Hand, heart, head to be able to ask, to have a scripture bank ready to go and to be able to be used by God in a deep and meaningful way knowing that there is scripture that is ready to be deployed in that brother or sister's life because all scripture is useful for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. Amen. Let's break to our small groups.